0: I can still remember back when America was fixated on a particular trial, the O.J. Simpson trial. Everybody watched the television every single day to get the latest updates, to find out what the judge was doing, to find out what Kato Kaelin was up to, all that craziness that was going on at the time period. And what was funny, while America loved to watch a trial, so many people were not willing to be on a trial. You know what I mean? You ever been to that opportunity to go to jury duty and you're sitting there thinking, I do not want to do this. I don't want to be on the jury. I don't want to be involved with the jury. Just get me out of jury duty as soon as possible. In fact, I've seen some very interesting things happen while I'm waiting to be interviewed for jury service. In fact, I, sat, was, I was sitting there watching a group of men and women sitting up there, and they were asking the question about whether they, they, could, um, they could see this person who was sitting there for, for being a person and not for their color. And one guy just raises his hand straight and they're like, yes, sir. He says, well, I'm a racist. So I couldn't see him in any other way. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. You could tell he was totally lying, but what do you do with that? The guy wanted out of jury duty so bad that he was willing to take on that stigma. I find this is one of those odd things that he was trying to be shrewd and uh, it was a shrewdness I don't think I would ever go near. Yet Jesus does call us to become a shrewd people. He does call us in the middle of our trials, in the middle of the things that we're going to face, facing the various courts that we will run into, to be shrewd. In fact, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said these words to them. In Matthew chapter 10, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. They'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the nations and the Gentiles. And what we see here is Jesus talking about a situation where you and I may end up in trials. You and I may end up before kings and governors as we're on this adventure of the gospel. And yet in that time, we are supposed to be wise as serpents, shrewd and yet innocent as doves. And that means trying not to do evil and do sin. Now, how does this work? What does this look like? How would we even know? As we're out on the adventure of the gospel, if we ever end up in a situation where we're being persecuted, where we're sitting on trial, how do we know and learn how to be shrewd? Well, I'm going to give you an example. His name is Paul. We're here in Acts chapter 22, and I want you guys to grab your Bible, open it up there to Acts 22. We're going to start in verse 20. Three, And we're going to see where Paul is at, because he's about to end up in a whole bunch of trial scenes, a whole bunch of courtroom scenes, a whole bunch of situations that he's going to need to be shrewd. And so we pick it up here in verse 23. Paul has just finished his testimony, and now we have a situation in which they are calling for his death. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, what's interesting here is a Roman flogging would have taken a nice long cat 9 tails in some cases, in some cases just a whip or a cane, and they would have beat you senseless. In fact, probably causing you some kind of crippling or perhaps death. And in this case right here, as we're looking, man, Paul is about to be tortured for information. They don't know why the people are yelling. They don't know what's going on. And so, hey, this is the opportunity for Paul to be beat, right? And isn't he going to get great, awesome, you know, like gifts in heaven because he suffered for Jesus? Wasn't he the one talking about, hey, I have all these marks on my body uh, for suffering for Jesus and all this kind of stuff. What, should, he, should he do something about this? And, and so it's interesting as we pick this up here in verse 20 five it says But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought my citizenship with a large sum. Paul said but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who are with him, those who were about to examine him, withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is an important segment because Paul is talking about his Roman citizenship. This is a privilege in his culture something that was rare in fact as we see this particular centurion had purchased his he had somehow managed this tribune and managed to get his way in onto his list of people and he paid probably a good amount of money to do so well, paul was of a higher status paul was born a citizen And this is important because this is a privilege that Paul has. And as he's being stretched out there to be whipped, as he's being stretched out to be beat, as he's about to probably lose his life or at least lose the use of some of his limbs, he doesn't just go, you know what? I'm going to take this for Jesus and I'm going to be a martyr. Woohoo! You know, I've known Christians who are, are kind of in that zone. They're almost like sadists thinking, you know, well, God has pain for me and that's good. I'm going to chase down being a martyr. At least that, that's what it was like for some of my junior high friends, right? And high school friends. They thought martyrdom was awesome. Well, Paul doesn't seem to view it this way. Paul actually uses his privilege as a Roman citizen to stop the pain, to stop the beating, to interrupt the situation and actually argue for his own rights and justice. Now, this is shrewd. With the Jewish people, he proclaimed how he was a Pharisee, and we'll see him do this again. And with the Romans, he's like, Look, I'm a citizen, and he can prove it. This reminds you and me that we must be shrewd by using our privileges. Look, we're gonna find ourselves in situations where we're gonna be preaching the gospel to hostile crowds. We're gonna be preaching the gospel on our adventure to people who aren't listening to us. Now, it may not be a, a trial setting for you, but it might be a, um, a trial on the internet. It might be a situation where you're sitting around a family table and people don't really wanna hear it. And they're starting to ask you all kinds of questions and, and drill into you. And it's at these places that we honestly have an opportunity, not just to take it, but actually begin to use our privileges. This is especially true if we're going to bring the gospel into the nations. You see, we as the people of the United States, we as Americans, have tons of privileges. We have access to the majority of countries in the world. We have a money that is used all over. We speak English, which is kind of the language of the world itself. And when we engage globally, what we have an opportunity to do is use all that privilege for the sake of the gospel. We have all that privilege to help our brothers and sisters out. We have all that privilege to engage and use it, especially when we're under a trial situation where everybody's poking and everybody's prodding, everybody's trying to engage us. You know, maybe um, you have some things, some privilege that you have. Maybe you have access to somebody who's in the government. It's a friend of yours or maybe it's a, a neighbor. And you can actually use that for the sake uh, of helping the gospel move forward. You can actually use that for the sake of, of keeping churches and things open. Maybe you have the power of a platform on the Internet, and you can use that for the gospel, and you can use that for the opportunity to forward things. Maybe you have a lot of money, and maybe you should just be giving towards those pieces that help out Christians in foreign countries get out of situations in which they're being falsely tried. Whatever it is, the the concept here is in the middle of a trial situation, the middle of difficulty. While we're trying to go on this gospel adventure, it is right to use the privileges God has given us for the sake of the gospel moving forward. You see, had Paul been beat, had Paul allowed himself to be hurt like that, he would have lost the use of a lot of his limbs or something worse, and the gospel wouldn't have gone forward. And so here, in a very real way, he's using these privileges to halt what possibly could have happened to him. And that's exactly what it does. It halts it. It stops it. In fact, in verse 30, it picks up. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, he, this man... We know as, who we'll know as Claudius later, has called all this Jewish council. Now, he's not able to say, hey, you guys, you know, do a, do a big trial here. Rather, what he's doing, he's trying to find out what the real reason he's being acu- accused of. He wants to know what the charges are. Why do you arrest this guy? It was a weird thing. You're just going to arrest somebody and then find the charges later. Okay, well, here's the thing. In their world, that was okay. And now he's going to call together all those who are accusing him. And those people are supposed to tell him what's up. Now, this is dangerous because Paul is now in a situation in which they could try him, find him guilty, and just command this Roman to kill this man. And so Paul's in a difficult spot. He is now standing before his own accusers who have the power against him, and they're going to threaten to use it. And so we begin in verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul, he he looks at them, at the council, and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before god and all good conscience up to this day and the high priest ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth now this is against all the levitical laws uh, to have someone struck was supposed to be after they were declared guilty and so here paul is being pounded beat unjustly and so paul has some words and what's fascinating is what comes out of his mouth is actually a prophetic utterance. Then Paul said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know brothers that he was the high priest for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What's fascinating in this situation is that Paul speaks prophetically about this very corrupt Ananias, who is the high priest at the time, who will actually find himself dead nine years later by the own own hands of his own people because he was so corrupt. He was taking bribes from the Romans. He was causing problems in the temple. They did not like this guy. And yet, if this guy is this sinister, you better watch what you're saying. Now, Paul doesn't know who this man is. And so no wonder he he backs up and says, well, I'm sorry. I know what the law says. I'm fascinated by this. Maybe you're not, but I, I find Paul, again, is being shrewd here. First of all, he's pointing out in the midst of the Jewish council that, hey, I know the law. I know the Levitical law. I know what you can do to me and what you can't. I can quote the verse. In fact, when he's told, hey, you're not supposed to revile the high priest, he's like, you're right. In fact, the law says this. He is being shrewd. He's building alliances in the middle of that trial. That's something we need to think about when we're in a debate online or when we're in a situation where we're getting ganged up. We want to find some way to build some alliance, some, build that bridge to ensure people understand. We need to be shrewd and ensure that we aren't getting ganged up on. In certain cases at a dinner party, maybe it's just as much as you go, hey, you remember when you said this with me and you, you bring them along your side and that begins to help build back that bridge and build back that opportunity to connect. Or maybe it's simply you state a truth that everybody agrees with. That's actually what Paul does next. He begins to look around. He realizes his situation is, in a, it is a dire situation. And so verse 6 We pick up now when Paul perceived that one part of the Sadducees were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It's respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. (laughs) It's important. Suddenly all of these people start getting into a battle. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And suddenly this thing gets violent, and they're all pushing back and forth, and all this stuff happens, and Paul is right in the middle again, having escaped the judgment by being shrewd. He didn't do anything wrong, but he knew the scriptures. He understood his culture. And we, in situations, we got to be shrewd. Using our knowledge of scripture, using our knowledge of our culture and engage. This is the way Paul does it. And so maybe you find yourself in that workplace, you're sitting at that dinner table or that restaurant and you're having that conversation and you're engaging with a conversation about Jesus and they start pummeling you with, oh, yeah, well, how can God be so good if there's all this evil in the world? Oh, I heard you guys are this. And they start ganging up on you. You got to be shrewd enough to go, hold on. This is what the Bible actually says. Have you ever read that and you begin to defend it? But at the same time, you got to know their culture. You say, oh, You mean like how we use our our pool of money in this way? You think, you don't think we're corrupt with our money? I've had a conversation with a young man who, years ago, we would argue about how the government was to use money and stuff and what was awesome is I could get him to agree with me because I simply said look, I don't think the problem is the money, I think the problem is human greed. And suddenly he was agreeing with me, though we were on completely different perspectives. And from there, we made headway because we began to talk about that virtue that should call people to be generous when they have, and care for others when they've got it, that it's about the human heart and about what we call people to. And because of that small move, trying to be shrewd, knowing the scriptures, trying to be shrewd, knowing his culture and his position, I began to earn trust in his questioning. And that can be done for all of us. Paul, in his case, gets a whole group of Pharisees on his side. They're even yelling, hey, this guy's great. This guy's fine. And he escapes another trial situation, another courtroom situation. I think this passage helps us to study how we can begin to understand the people we're communicating to and ensure that we can make ground, build ground with others, even though it may offend some. We want to ensure that the gospel can be heard and we've got to bring this forward. And again, this requires shrewdness. And Paul has it in spades. Now, as we move forward, that means that we got to realize that we're going to make mistakes as we attempt to be shrewd. Yet hey, we're going to use scriptures wrong. We're going to say things wrong. We're going to tick people off in the wrong direction. And you know what? We're not attempting to. We're going to be innocent as doves. We're not trying to sin. We're not trying to stick it to anybody. What we're trying to do is to manage a situation so that they will hear the message. So they won't throw us out and just simply kill us or, or do an injustice to us so the message of Jesus can't continue on. And this is where we need to be shrewd. We need to be wise. We need to make sure that we are bringing the scriptures to bear in the right place and the culture to bear in the right place. Yeah, it calls us to be smart. And that's gonna take some time. It means in our interactions, in our work out there on the adventure of the gospel, we're gonna to have to keep trying, keep guiding, keep, try different things and what works we should share with each other. So I encourage you guys to get back together in your small groups, to share those adventures, to talk about what works, what didn't, what happened, what was that court situation that you were in. It might be a small court, a public opinion court, it might be a work court, it might just be a family or friend court at the gym, whatever. These are great opportunities for you guys to share what happened in those dialogues, how you were able to move and and give each other opportunity to grow and learn. And so I want to encourage you guys, just as Paul challenges us with how he worked with things, you should be challenging each other with how you're engaging in this adventure online or wherever you go. But know that you're going to go through some of this stuff and it's going to begin to feel like maybe God's far away because trials are tough sitting under the fierce fire of people's questions of sitting under the fear of injustice is difficult but god will be with you he is with you he's with paul through this whole text in fact the most important text in this is is verse 11 here and it states this the following night the lord that's jesus stood by him and said take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in jerusalem so you must testify also in rome suddenly everything shifts Jesus appears in the night and tells him, take courage. Why is he telling Paul to take courage? Maybe Paul was discouraged. Maybe he was fearful in the situation. All Paul knew was he was going to be arrested and handed over to the Gentiles. He didn't know what was going to happen after that. And now Jesus shows up and says, listen, I want to tell you something. I want to give you a promise. I want to give you an encouragement. You are going to testify also in Rome. We got to remember, Paul didn't have the New Testament. end up writing a lot of the New Testament, but he doesn't have the New Testament. We also have to remember then that Paul has the Old Testament, but those promises apply to Israel. Do they apply to him directly? And so God comes to him. Jesus comes to him and gives him a direct passage, says, here's my word to you. Here is my promise to you. And I want to tell you what, God, as you study the word of God, will come and encourage you with his promises. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I'll be reading through a text, going through a difficult trial, going through a difficult time. And one of the scriptures will just pop out. And it's as if God is speaking directly to me. It fits the context and it, it is clearly what he wants me to remember. And it centers me. It puts me into perspective with him. And I begin to march forward and he begins to work in me for me. Early on as a Christian, went through some pretty rough trials for, for a, you know, noted for a college student, right, had broken off a three-year relationship that I was engaged and it wasn't working anymore, and, and suddenly I lost my job and I, of college was looking six years longer after I'd already been in it for two and a half years. It was just a horrible time for me emotionally, difficult, all this junk. And and one scripture popped in my head constantly, and it was the scripture where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That text welded into my mind and carried me through up and down, up and down, situation after situation over the next few years. For Justin, he was telling me about the time where he had gone through a particular difficult moment and season in ministry, where he began to wonder, hey, is this even uh, worth continuing in? Am I even doing a good job? And Galatians 6, 9 was his. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And it was that portion where he was like, I need to keep going. I need to keep going. And in the middle of our trials, we need to look to the promises of God. God. We need to trust the promises of God in the middle of all our trials. And I believe that's exactly why Jesus came to Paul that night. He told him, take courage. There was going to be some stuff coming. In fact, we'll just pick it up. We're just going to go through the rest of this. And you're going to see how important, I believe, this promise was going to be for him and how it was going to aid him. Though he had been shrewd, now he needed this promise to get him through the next part. In fact, it says in verse 12, now... When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor to drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune, bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we're ready to kill him before he comes near." Now, this is a difficult situation. Paul is going to find himself stuck where he's going to, he doesn't know this is going on, but it's now increased, right? In fact, the son of Paul's sister, this is his nephew, heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of his centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner has called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. And the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? Now we could stop right here. All Paul knows at this point is that his nephew knows what's going on and he's him to the tribune. But does Paul know what the tribune's gonna do? I mean, the tribune, sure, he's a Roman citizen, but is the tribune gonna believe this little Jewish boy? Romans didn't like Jewish people. Is he even going to care enough that that he should keep him safe? Is he going to realize what's going on in this plot? I mean, Paul is sitting there now in a situation with information, and he's not sure how it's going to handle. But the promise of God is there. He was going to go to Rome. And again, in our trials, we need to trust the promises of God. In fact, what's cool is Paul is shrewd enough not to just trust God's promises, like kick back and relax. He hears from his nephew, oh, that's cool. Well, God told me I'm going to Rome. You don't have to worry about it. No, what he did is he told his nephew, go tell the tribune. Just because we receive a promise from God, just because we have information and something can help us doesn't mean we just sit back and not do something about it. You may be struggling through a scenario in your life financially and suddenly some good advice comes your way and you're, you're, you're pretty sure God's going to take care of you and you're like, nah, you know, I don't really need to do that investment right now. That's not important. How, how do we not know that that was the very answer that God wants to use? Don't push off the information you receive. Be shrewd enough that when you're trusting God's promises, that even the things that come into your life are there to be used. God will direct. God will act. This is the last thing Paul gets to do. From this point on, he is a passive person in the whole thing. It's just going to happen to him. And this entire time, he's going to hold on to that promise of God. He's going to keep trusting that he's going to Rome. He's going to Rome. And so we pick up as the situation continues, it says the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But don't be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who've bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they've killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. And so the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one what you've informed me of these things. And so now this this tribune isn't even given any promises. But again, Paul has his promise, not from a tribune, but from God. And you may not be sure what's going on, but God's promises are sure. That resurrection is going to happen. That blessing in eternity is coming. You've been forgiven of your sins. God is going to redeem you. He's going to transform you, even when it doesn't look like it. As you're fighting through the trial of your own temptation, as you're fighting through the trial of your own failure, as you're fighting through the trial of your own security insecurity, as you're fighting through a trial of human beings, whatever you find yourself in, God's promises are sure. Do you know the word well enough to know his promises? Do you know the word well enough to hold on to them and know what they are for you? Because again, in our trials, we got to trust the promises of God. This is what we're called to have. And so now the centurion does act, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the tribune does act. And he moves this way, verse 23. Then he called two of his centurions and says, Get ready 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea and a third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And then he wrote a letter, Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency, the Governor Felix, Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came up upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers to to state before you what they have against him. And so this letter comes out. And what happens is now he's going to be taken down to this place. And as this letter is, is, is going to be delivered, Paul is going to be either received or rejected. Now, Felix isn't a great guy. Let me be honest. Felix is one of those men that is pretty violent. He was a a slave who'd become a a governor. He's the only slave in the history of Rome that became a governor. And people called him a brutal man. He was capable of just doing wicked things. In fact, eventually he would tick off the Jewish people in Caesarea and be kicked out by Nero, Caesar himself. So it's not like Paul's going to some safe zone. But the situation is clear. There's going, they're going to be moving him. He's going to get there safely unless something horrible happens. My curiosity is just one thing. What happened to the 40 guys who failed? I mean, did they starve to death? Probably not, but just a thought. Verse 31, So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks letting the horsemen go with him. And when they had come to Caesarea, delivered the letter to the governor, and they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he was asked what province he was from. And when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I'll give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. And so what we have here is a very interesting situation, again, in which now Paul is free in the praetorium of Herod. What's that? Well, it was, the, it was the palace of Herod, and in Herod's palace, he had a place where he would store pr- political prisoners, and that's likely where Paul stayed. And as we'll see, he'll stay there for two whole years. Don't you think you need Jesus' promise if you're going to go through a trial for two whole years? This is how important it is that we are shrewd people. It's how important it is that we can navigate our way through trials, and then finally come to a place where, honestly, we are standing on the promises of Jesus. See, we're gonna need those in our trials. We're gonna need those as we go through because God is the one who will be sure even though all of our circumstances aren't. Paul could look at his circumstances right there and feel like, hey, things are looking up. I'm gonna get in front of this uh, Felix guy and things are gonna go well, but he would have found out it wasn't good. And we'll find that out as we move on. It's not as good as we think. And so we don't wanna trust our circumstances. You wanna trust the promises of God. You don't want to just trust your emotions and how you feel about stuff because you want them founded on the promises of God. And this is important and why the promises are important because in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our stuff, to be shrewd, we have to lean upon the promises of God. So I want to encourage you guys to get into the word. Start underlining those promises, write them down. If God gives you something that's in the text and you're like, man, this, this is true, make sure it's in the context, make sure it's right. But at the same time, take it, pray about it. If God's given you that promise that he's gonna bring you through or bring you to a situation, stand on it and see what God does. It may be fascinating as you go about this gospel adventure, just how often God wants to encourage you and lift you up as we go through our various trials. To bow your heads, I want to pray for those of you who are in trials today and ask God's blessing to make you shrewd. Father, I just pray that you, today you would enable the people who are listening to this. Uh, on this Independence Day weekend, God, as we're thinking of so many things in our culture and we are facing so many trials in so many ways, whether online, in life, whether in our homes, with all these things, I ask God that you'd make us shrewd to have the right answers, to apply the scriptures at the right time, and to bring about an opportunity for the sake of your gospel to come through our lives. Lord, we're on this adventure with you. Give us the truth that we need to have. Give us the promises that we need to have from your word that we may stand. And in that way, God, we would honor you. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.